Dan, put down that ambiguous beaker. We gotta talk. Hit me. I've been reading Mordekainen's Tome of Foes, and I'm pretty sure you and I are elves. Intriguing. Go ahead. So elves experience their first reflection in their second or third decade. This is their wake-up call as to what they should be doing with their life once they're an adult. I mean, sure, we had careers and families and all that for a while now, but we only just discovered that this show is what we're meant to do. Next, all elves experience a kind of cultural melancholy, a drab outlook on life based on a deeper sadness. I mean, you and I are jaded about pretty much everything except D&D, Rick and Morty, and Run the Jewels. Respect. Go on. And finally, elves have a great passion for their calling, but restrain themselves from showing it. We love this show and work on it every single day, but don't go around telling every single person we meet. I mean, mostly because we're pretty sure they won't care, but still, spooky dude, we're elves. That's a solid argument, Garen. But there's one problem. Our noses. Too big? Not only too big, they're way too big. You've got that hawk's beak thing going on, and mine is just rather full. You're right. It's our gift and our curse, I guess. How is it a gift? Advantage on a perception checks that rely on smell. Want to start the theme song? Yeah, I just replaced the needle with a Kenku pinky toenail on my turntable. This is going to sound so lit. Let's do it. Garen, you ready? It's about to drop. Do it. Dungeons and Dragons. Dan here. I started out in 5e. And me? I was sitting behind the DM screen. Yeah, that was three short years ago. I built a dragonborn fighter with no gusto. Fast forward a year. We're buying supplements and copping brand new gear. Incessantly making characters for one another. The only one who cared, of course, was our brother. Building new characters, score them all day. Each and every week, a brand new baby. How's their melee? How's their range? How's their magic? How controlling? How deranged? That's not a category. Just keep going. Uh, I think we were here? Grab a comfy chair and a glass of mead. Another fresh episode in your feed. Other podcasts can be kinda drab. This ain't one, it's the character lab. Welcome back to the D&D Character Lab, the show based around one thing we as players cannot resist. And that is compulsively creating characters and daydream about their validity in-game. Each week we are bringing a new character to the table, drawing from a plethora of mechs content, and scoring it against a predefined table of criteria. It is then up to us to use our own personal charisma modifiers to convince the other that our baby is better. Hey everybody, it's Dan. And Garen. And this week, Kaiju better watch themselves because we built pilots of giant robots known as Atom from the truly mind-blowing work The Grease Monkey's Handbook by Val Serene and Mogman Dabloon. This 116-page book not only puts giant robots into your 5e game, but it also gives guidelines for how to build them, salvage scrap metal for them. Also, most importantly, what is that, Garen? Fighting them. Of course. Of course! And then to top it all off, a whole slew of new player options such as subclasses, spells, feats, magic items, you name it. This is one of those works that prepping for the episode only made me wish I could spend more time with it and then immediately start a game with some big dang old robots. As Dan said, Val and Mogman fleshed out every corner of this idea with a fully realized product that could change the very face of your 5e game, while also providing options for plugging those details into an existing adventure. Now, as we've introduced this work... Dan, would you like to introduce us to your new pilot? This week I brought in Trennan Ironhide. He was your typical forest gnome. At a young age, you know, he and his dad would go out, hunt for wild game, provide for the rest of the family, as you do. But as his father grew older, Trennan's role within the family grew more and more as kind of the sole provider, as he was the only son amongst his six sisters. But alarmingly ugly, his sisters had a very rough time getting married. 
They grew more and more and stayed home with their aging parents, leaving Trennan essentially to fend for ways for the nine of them to eat every single day. Because of the harsh competition for resources amongst the other forest gnomes in the small village, Trennan was forced to trek out further and further and utilize rather unconventional techniques for hunting, including transforming himself into the beasts of the wild that surrounded him. On a cold and fateful night, Trennan found himself and his faithful pooch a step too far out of bounds, though. A tribe of wily bugbears ambushed the makeshift shelter where Trennan laid rest for the night and murdered him in cold blood. They trekked his body back to their camp, which was under constant surveillance by a nearby elven militia, worried that these bugbears posed a threat to their own safety. The watch from the militia summoned the medic, as he noted that the body was that of an ally forest gnome, whose proficiency in stealth in the forested wild had saved the elven militia on a number of occasions. They knew they must return the body of the fallen to his family as a gesture of good faith. The bugbear slung Trennan's limp body over a clothesline, where he would be butchered in the morning. Dr. Algerian knew that he had to work quickly to recover his body in order not to be seen by the indiscriminate beasts, and he did just that. However, upon recovery, instead of preparing the body in the typical post-mortem fashion, Dr. Algerian, a specialist not only in mortal medicine, but that of constructs, began to investigate how he could reanimate the small body of the man he recovered. After about six hours of hard work, well after daybreak, Dr. Algerian emerged from his clinic alongside a walking, fully animated forest gnome. He did now walk with just a minor limp, though. The tiny man thanked the doctor for his service and asked how he could ever repay him. Dr. Algerian reflexively refused any repayment, but then quickly recanted and requested that Trennan work as his apprentice and urged him to enroll in the nearby military academy. Trennan obliged, seemingly forgetting of his family back in the forest quite a distance away. Years passed. Trennan taught the elven militia of druidic magic, which they then used in guerrilla warfare against enemy combatants. In exchange, Dr. Algerian taught Trennan all that he knew of medicine and of constructs, which were an important political advancement for the elven people as it reduced casualties while expanding their influence and their sheer numbers. Trennan now works on behalf of the military and is highly skilled in guerrilla warfare and field medicine in battle himself. Accompanied by his new and improved trusty pooch, Trennan was also entrusted with a military mech that he can use to conquer some of the more difficult terrain for his stout little legs and still carry out the missions on behalf of the elven militia. I'll introduce you to Trennan, who is a level 14 ascended gnome. You may remember this from the Construct Compendium by Richie Root and Brandon Norris, which was up for a nomination for Best Race. I'm returning with just another great race from this supplement, and I also have him as a Circle of Steel Druid from this wonderful supplement, Grease Monkey's Handbook by Val Serene and Mogman Bloon. and I gave him the Outlander background. I like this guy. Another huge opus of a backstory. He was brought back to life. I like how you emphasize the fact that after six hours of grueling work, which... In the grand scheme of things, considering he brought a man back to life, is not a terrible amount of time. All the other things to note, the six ugly sisters, I hope all six of them make appearances on the lab one day, because if they can't get married, they must be making their own way as an adventurer somehow. They're just tailors. That's it. All of them are tailors. Oh, oh they're all tailors. They make tiny pants. Tiny pants. Great oh, market for tiny pants. Absolutely. For forest gnomes? Oh, man. Everything is big and tall for them. Thoughtful. I do have one question, though. What is his mech's name? Boy, that's a good question. I didn't name it. Rookie mistake. Let me tell you how this is done.
The indigo goblins are a unique breed, intellectual by goblinoid standards and often a pariah due to their introspective and quiet nature. Now Yeezy Eastelbog was born strange even by those standards. He preferred to dissect mechanical devices instead of interacting with others of his own age. When he was still young, he managed to augment his voice by implanting a sound chip he found in a broken radio and performing home surgery on his neck. This was seen as heresy by his tribe and he was cast out. Yeezy hardly noticed. He simply wandered off and found a new home in a scrap metal yard. His proficiency with tools increased at an alarming rate and soon he had built a small hut, then a home, then a veritable mansion from cast off pieces of tech rising above this pile of scrap. Yeezy dug through the old bits, finding relics from years past and improving upon their designs to create new ideas through this sampling the popular tools. He also constructed an industrial grade atom that he called his Kingly Industrial Mech, or Kim for short, which he used to raid the yards of local plants, stealing their tech and sabotaging their work. While Yeezy became infamous for these attacks, there was little the public chose to do about it. Some people even supporting him as a wild prophet with a new direction in tech. Embracing this path, Yeezy installed a huge screen at the top of his mansion in which he broadcast his plans, goals, and even stray thoughts for all the public to see. Yeezy is a level 14 steelborn sorcerer from the Grease Monkeys handbook, and he is an indigo goblin, which is from the Volos Complete Subrace handbook, which we awarded the Labby for best pay what you want on DM's guild. He is, of course, driving a industrial mech, and I chose the Junker pilot type, which isn't a classic background, so I gave him the archaeologist background, which I took from Tomb of Annihilation. So, now that we have introduced our characters, it wouldn't be our show if we didn't move through this in a predictably robotic pattern, and that means it's time that we honor our patron, Cantrip Candles. The purveyors of 100% soy candles that are specifically designed to accompany your tabletop adventures, like D&D or Pathfinder, they have a great selection of scents that smell like different locations in a fantasy world. Bustling bakeries, swaggy taverns, or this week's spotlight, Adventurer's Bounty. The notes of amber, leather, and copper fit the mechanical world we're visiting with the Grease Monkey's Handbook with a rich blend of smells. But to be honest, you can find a scent for all of your adventures with their sampler pack, which offers nine of their scents for just a great low price. Once you decide you want to buy every single one of these scents, we are happy to announce you now can, and the lab will help cover some of the costs. When you use the code LABRAT, L-A-B-R-A-T, all one word at checkout, you receive 10% off your total purchase. Be sure to check them out. That's Cantrip Candles. And if you don't know how to spell Cantrip, you shouldn't be playing D&D. Thank you, Garen and Cantrip Candles, for that message. Now, we're going to start scoring our character builds, which includes some mechs. So, Garen, what does that mean for our listeners? Well, if they're not familiar with our show format, they may experience some loss of cabin pressure, so let me go through the standard procedure. We've designated nine criteria to weigh these characters, and we'll be awarding a score of negative two to positive two for each. The opposing host may force a charisma check for one argument that the arguer must roll using the charisma score for the episode's character. At the end, one of us will have a higher score, presumably, and reign supreme in their metallic butt-kicking Goliath. Now... It's time to lock and load as I show you what Yeezy has in Melee. But first, let me climb inside my Atom here. I'm still getting adjusted to it. Come on, man. We did all that tidying up here last week, and that was all for naught, apparently. You know, every time, Garen, I just, you know, for once... Hold on, hold on. I got it. Wait, I think I... Sorry, dude. No. Oh, I'm getting it adjusted. Uh, All right, no, I'll figure it out as we go along. Why don't you start us up in Melee, then? So here's the first broadcast statement when you ask Yeezy in his mansion, how good is he in Melee? He broadcasts, I'm 
wielding the blade of pure energy. Plus eight to hit and eight sideways is infinity, so my damage is universal. 1d6 plus three maxes out is nine, which is a palindrome for six, showing the perfect symmetry to d6 with the three modifier. Also, my attacks have Fleshbane, featuring from the Grease Monkey's Handbook, which means the creature I energy stabbed has to save on a DC 13 constitution save or have their AC reduced by one. I'm peeling back the very fiber of their beings with my strikes plus one. <laughs> well, you did not disappoint with your delusions of grandeur here, Mr. Yeezy, but I do think that at level 14, you're rather one-dimensional in the melee category. You do have more than one thing, which makes you a little bit better than nothing, but I don't think that you're in positive territory. I think you're very neutral. Okay, just this one time, Yeezy will accept a zero, but that's it. <laughs> Minus two. No, no, not yet. I, I, haven't, I haven't introduced you yet. <laughs> well, uh, you see, Garen... You know, I read this supplement from cover to cover, and I actually learned how to build a construct of my own. So, to help assist me in my arguments this week, I have built CLASS, which stands for Character Lab Argument Scoring System. Now, this uh -oh. construct knows exactly what I've come to the table with, so it'll tell me at the beginning of each of these categories what I should be arguing for. But additionally, it has the ability to listen to your arguments and suggest to me what you should get. This is a very intricate little ditty that I made here, Garen. Let me just turn this thing on. Dude, it's smoking. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, a work in progress. Uh, okay, hello, class. Uh, initiate the scoring protocol. What should I argue for melee this week? Minus two. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, minus one. It said minus one. Uh, I see, believe it said minus two? Uh, no, uh, get your ears checked. I've been telling you to go see your doctor, Garen. Uh, see, Trennan, he has a scimitar. Plus six to hit. 1d6 plus 1 slashing damage, but Trennan also has a construct which is a giant hyena, has a bite attack, deals out 2d6 plus 3, and it gets one attack per turn and it rolls its own initiative, so it does get that 2d6 plus 3 each and every round. And then, of course, any melee attack while I'm in wild shape form, I think this is an easy minus 1. Very, very fair. Alright, that is a super easy minus 1. Excuse me, class, would you like to tell us about his ranged? Minus 2! Uh, yeah, uh, that's right. Once again, it suggested a minus one for this category. Wow, nah. this thing is pretty on point. You know what I'm saying? Because I have magic stone, plus 10 to hit, 1d6, plus 5 bludgeoning damage. The reason I'm not including this in burninating is because it basically just hurls a stone. So it's not really magic damage, it's just throwing a stone via magic means. That's so, just a big old rock. Better than nothing, minus one, just like class said. All right, I have no problem with that, because it's something. What do you got for rain? What? Well, here's another message from Yeezy. I have incredible range, not only on the battlefield, but also I can act. But here's the deal. When I have to shoot plasma pistol, pew pew, sit in your own pew in the church of Yeezy delivering justice from above and beyond. 1d6 fire damage because my range attacks are fire. Man, I love me. Plus one. Plus two. I like class. No, no, no. Yeah, uh, plus plus one, you said? Um, yes, I, I, I think that that's, that's reasonable. Sure, plus one. You all right with that for a 1d6? Yeah. Yep, that's fine. Plus one. Plus two. Moving right along. Okay. Class, pipe down. Now. This is going so well for I'm going to do a little dance in my Adam now. Because I'm feeling good about this episode. Well, why don't you dance your way right into burninating? All right. 
My magic is beyond that which you can see with your regular eye. I could create an arcane cannon that fires dragon energy through everyone that stand in my way. 5d10 damage, that's a maximum of 50. Half of 100, twice of 25. The symmetry is undeniable. On the small end, I can hover these tiny bits of metal around me in the shape of a halo, which is a sign of my divinity, and shoot them at anyone I please. 1d6 plus my spellcasting modifier, which is also charisma because my charisma is on another level. Plus two. Plus two. Wait, stop. Is it just the fact that he's mesmerizing you with words? He could stay in the lab as long as he wants. I, I do not think that you get a plus two here. You're just throwing around a lot of words, but there's not a whole lot of damage in there. I followed it. All right, how much damage does my arcane cannon do? That's a seventh level spell from the Grease Monkey's Handbook. How much does it do? 5d10 in a straight line for up to 60 feet. It's like a lightning bolt. It can hit through anybody in that line. Well, let me tell you why you're not going to get a plus two, because I'm arguing a plus one, and I think you earn a zero. Here's the deal. Minus two. No, plus one. I have Static Bolt, which is a cantrip from this same supplement. It's a ranged spell attack. On a hit, deals out 3d4 lightning damage. I've also got Heat Metal, Moonbeam, Call Lightning, Wall of Fire, Firestorm. And then my Hyena is also able to store a fourth level spell or lower. So Trennan, yeah, he loaded up his doggy with Wall of Fire, which deals out 5d8. Once that's used, it has to be recharged as an action. But it doesn't matter, because all those spells worthy of a plus one. I think you need to take a seat with your zero. Okay, class, I have to break with you on this one. I do agree that is plus one worthy. Minus two. Give me that mech. Oh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, <laughs> I'm driving now, Poppy. Time to go. Can I have my Dr. Pepper out of the cup holder? How could you do this to me, father? Well, now that that's through... Oh. Let me take you. In, let me take you into control. That's how you control a situation right there. You killed the best thing that ever happened to this lab. I'm arguing a plus one. I've got the Fuse spell, which is a second level automation spell from this Grease Monkey supplement. It fuses two combatants together on a failed deck save. Their movement speed is halved, disadvantage on all deck saving throws, and melee attacks against them have advantage, and a strength check is needed to end the spell's effect. I also have Deconstruct, which is a third level automation spell from the Grease Monkey supplement. You can target a creature wearing metal armor and deconstruct their armor, reducing their AC by one and inflicting 3d10 force damage on a failed strength save. Now, what I really like about this is, you know, they can repair their armor by magical means, but otherwise their AC is just down permanently by one. Super, super powerful spell at third level. So Spoiler, I have, I have it too. I really like that one. I also have Fog Cloud, Anti-Life Shell, Mass Cure Wounds, which is arguably a battlefield game changer. And then I have a racial feature called Speak with Mechanical Beings, which is pretty self-explanatory, of course, but it also includes those that have no language. Solid plus one. I'm surprised you weren't going for the plus two on that. All right. <laughs> I was consulting with class before it so tragically perished. It's such a loss. I love that little box. Okay, well, well, hold on, everybody. We got another message from Yeezy coming in. You want control? How about prehensile limbs sprouting from my back to manipulate objects the way your brain manipulates you? I can instruct and deconstruct. Both spells that don't affect constructs are aqueducts, but I don't give a funk, Shin. Instruct lets me tell them what to think, and they love me for it. Deconstruct lowers their ACs, do you see, and damage them with force, of course. Plus one. These messages are dizzying. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you just argued. So let me highlight this nice little feature here. The prehensile limbs are a feature of my sorcerer class, which is exactly what it sounds like. They sprout from my back. They can aid me in physical ability checks. Oh, Dr. Octopus, dude. Yes. Oh, yes. Straight up Dr. Octopus in it. And then, uh, yeah, I got the instruct spell, which is basically a charm spell that uses a wisdom save instead of a charisma save. Well, given the fact that I have just a very beefy control category, I think, again, we should have you go with a zero. 
I think I think I would like to take the one because of the potential of the prehensile limbs in the long game. If you don't agree, I would like to force a roll on myself. Can't do that. So anyways, I think that I've got a little bit more here to kind of round out the control. I do like your Doc Ock limbs. They could be rather multi-purpose, but I didn't hear a whole lot of magic other than that one spell. All right. You know what? I'm not even listening anymore because wait up. Here comes another message from Yeezy. Tankiness category. My AC is basically a 14, but wait, there's more, team. Whenever I cast a spell, I gain plus two until the end of my next turn with metallic resistance. I am the resistance, but this is just an instance of my invulnerability. 126 hit points, and I'll get to the point. When I say you can't hurt my mind, I have resistance to psychic damage. My synapses are firing faster than your wiring is tiring. Plus one. You have a couple of really good traits here, and arguably pretty strong, but your HP, 124 your AC was what? My AC is a 14, but just to reiterate, whenever I cast a spell of first level or higher, the feature of my subclass, now at level 14, it's a plus two to my AC until the start of my next turn. So it's effectively a 16 if I'm casting a spell on every turn. Okay, which you won't because you'll eventually run out of spell slots. So you say? Again, 14th level here. So you got to remember what we're dealing with. And I'm going to blow you out of the water so badly in this category that I think, again, I'm going to force you into a zero. So... Oh. I have a plus two. I have 140 HP and an AC of 15. Now that may sound, whoa, that's not that great. The Construct Hyena can add two to my AC as a reaction once per round. I basically would think of this as, you know, maybe he like jumps in front of an attack to kind of uh, deflect some of the damage or, or something along those lines. But the sure, Hyena... Yeah. The, the Hyena Construct himself has an AC of 17 and 109 hit points. Now, that's the max, given that it gains one hit die for every level you gain over 6th. So, you take the base of the Hyena and then just add a d8 for every level. I, of course, gave it max, because that's what we do here. It also has resistance to non-magical bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage. It's immune to disease, poison damage, and the poison condition. Also does not need to eat or breathe. If it dies... Its spirit will reappear in one week's time and can be transferred into a new construct given that there's enough scrap metal to rebuild it. Also, I have a special type of wild shape called machine shape, which allows me not only to shape into animals, but also constructs. And also, I have conjure woodland beings, healing word, barkskin, primordial word, which of course gives resistance to acid, cold, fire, lightning, and thunder damage for a minute. And then I have the racial feature called Automated Cunning, which gives advantage on saving throws against spells, abilities, and effects that come from magic items like wands, staves, glyphs, etc. Now, how did my AC reach 15, you ask? I also took the Mechanically Enhanced feat, which is one of three feats featured in the Grease Monkey Supplement. It increased my Wisdom score by one, and also gave me a plus one to your AC. Now, an interesting note about this feat is you can use it up to three times, and mm -hmm. it will increase your AC by one each and every time you do it. So I thought that that was a really cool little bonus here in this supplement. Overall, it's such an overwhelming plus two. I feel like it's a plus three. But given that we can't do that unless I roll a 20 here, I think you're a zero. Woof. Yeah. Yeah. I also took the mechanical resistance feat to get that little AC bump. I would have been a 13. You blew me out of the water. First off, I want my Adam back. Get out. Let me get back in. Second, do your roll. This is the year of bad rolls for you. It happened on the first episode. I know it's going to happen now. Okay, Trennan has a negative one charisma modifier. He has an eight charisma. Not a charismatic dude. This is a DC 17 roll. I need an 18 or better. I rolled a five. You put it out in the atmosphere and just like dragon energy, draining me. So we have a special category this week, as you know, Garen, where we are going to score our atoms. I just gave you yours back. So, you know, you can get well familiar with it before your argument. But let me dive right into what I have for Trennan 
It is a military class atom with a light chassis and a an AC of 19. Has 142 hit points and it's bipedal, meaning it walks around like an AT-AT. Isn't that what they call them in Star Wars? I believe so. Yes. Correct me if I'm wrong, audience. I don't know if that's the correct name of it. That might be the four-legged one. Oh, we do not know our Star Wars. Nope. We're wizard and dragon nerds. We're not space nerds. That's right. Able to be operated by Trenin alone, so it only has one person operation, and it was given to him by the Military Academy for Rough Terrain given his small stature. It's equipped with a heat ray, which deals out 2d8 fire damage, and a plasma gun, which deals out 2d6 fire damage. And Mm -hmm. in its hands, it holds an energy sword, which deals out 1d8 fire damage. I'm arguing a zero here. It's not going to be the most impressive mech that we see here in the lab today. I guarantee what I was just in in Garen's mech is a little bit more advanced than what I just put out on the table. But all things considered, this thing is very agile. It increases Trenton's move speed given that he has those tiny little legs and it allows him to conquer the terrain as indicated. Yeah, that's a fun little build you got there just to highlight some of what's going on there. When you build your mech, you can add these module weapons and items onto them. They have a certain number of slots they can have at any one time, but they can be removed and replaced with other ones. So I wanted to say that before I go into another statement from Yeezy, because you know Yeezy's statements don't really explain a lot of the details. Wait, 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 everybody shut up. Here it comes. My Adam, her name is Kim. She's built on the best parts for doing work, you understand? Not only does she have an AC of 19 and 142 hit points, she's industrial, meant for that hard labor. She's got that mining drill doing 3d10 damage, just demolishing buildings. Excavator doing 2d10 bludgeoning, digging the best holes. I can switch out all these parts because she can't handle them all at once and things get nasty. I slap on that plasma torch for the 3d8 fire damage. Also, she's quadrupedal, so nothing's going to stop her from stomping all over those sites. They can't catch us. They won't catch us. Plus one. Definitely a plus one. Going a little bit into the X-Factor territory, I really do like that these mechs also have some abilities like excavating, like you mentioned, that can really add some cool depth and roleplay to your game. So we felt it very necessary to include this category this week. And Garen, as anticipated, that's one cool mech. Yeah, thank you. I'm feeling good about this now. You want me to get anything for you out of the fridge? How about some old sandwich I found? I think I will uh, I'll pass on that. You sure? That pickle's only a little bit brown. I, I really don't know if that's a sandwich anymore. I really yep. appreciate you looking out for me, Garen. But like an Adam, this show requires constant maintenance and upgrades to keep it relevant on the battlefield of D&D podcasts. And I'd like to thank you, the listeners, for choosing to listen to our show when you could be spending the time, these 30-odd minutes, consuming any number of quality shows. If you like what we're doing here in the lab and would like to be an instrumental piece of our audience, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash dndcharacterlab. We offer bonus episodes twice a month and an exclusive creative community of some really great people. In exchange, we'll take the Tinkerer's variant feat and continue to improve our show. Now, Garen, why don't you go ahead and tell us how you help your friends? What does Yeezy do for his friends? This isn't about what I do for others. It's about what others do for me. I'm the ultimate ally and the one worth saving. As such, when a creature is trying to hurt me, the king forcing me to save, I always save. I can spend two sorcery points and make a wall fall on the fool or open a door in his face. So either he has disadvantage on the attack or I get advantage on its save. It's called Construct Protection, and I deserve it at level six. Doors love me. They want me in their threshold because I fit so well. I don't stay for long. I leave them wanting more, always passing through those doors. Doors are great. Plus one. No. Absolutely not. You are not getting a plus one. That was incoherent. You basically admitted you're selfish and you don't like to help others. Absolutely not. I heard one ability there. Minus At one. this point, you may be wondering yourself, why does Yeezy always ask for a plus one? Why never a plus two? Why not a zero? Why not a negative one or negative two when it, obviously Ally Assist is deserving of that? Yeezy's number one. That's all it is. 
Oh, sorry, Mr. Yeezy. I think this is a, a minus one. You did have one thing that you kind of morphed into an ally assist. I'll, I'll give you credit for that. but Yeah, that wasn't ally assist at all, but I'll take that minus one. All right, what do you got? <laughs> I'm going to argue plus two here. I've got regenerate, cure wounds, reincarnate, heal, greater restoration, and as a bonus action, I can expend a spell slot to have my construct giant hyena regain 1d8 HP. So when he's in dire need, just blow a spell slot and, and, and give him a little bit more health. I also have that Wanderer feature of the Outlander background, which we featured here before, but I always know my way around. I think it's a plus two. Well, this feels like a stretch, though. I can regenerate limbs, cure wounds, reincarnate. That's right, bring you back from the dead. I can heal okay, you, okay. or I can greater restoration, get rid of those conditions that have been haunting you. You don't for have a while. to double list me. You get your plus two because you deserved a plus two in the other category, and you failed your role like a dummy. Now, working into balance, right? He's a very optimized druid, but he doesn't really need much strength or charisma given that he's a druid. So the numbers here, strength of 10, dex of 12, a con of 14, intelligence of 15, wisdom of, that's right, perfect 20, and a charisma of 8. Proficiency in the intelligence and wisdom saving throws. Animal handling is a plus 10, plus 5 in athletics. Nature is a plus 7 and plus 10 to survival. And I have a 15 passive perception, but here's where the money shot is. It's a spell save DC of 18 and a plus 10 on ranged spell attacks. I'm rarely missing. Yeah, that's a plus two balance, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Hold on. Yeezy seems to be typing something. They're not ready yet. Oh, Hmm. wait, here it comes. I'm not going to lie to you, I'm quite imbalanced. It takes a lot to keep this train heading down the track, and I'd like to stop at all the stations that aren't there yet, you know? Pick up passengers that didn't even know they wanted to be on this train, but once they are, they can't imagine a better train. Any questions? Plus one. Garen, I don't want to knock the character that you built this week, but I, I think he's a bit manic. I mean, I think Yeezy did offer some honesty in this category, and since he didn't want to do it, I guess I can run some of the numbers if that'll help you make up your mind. You know, the problem is, is unfortunately, his imbalance is also his superpower. Hit us with the digits. Strength of 8, Dex of 16, Con of 14, Intelligence of 15, Wisdom of 12, Charisma of 16, Proficiencies, History, Survival, Insight, Arcana, Spell Attack, 8, Spell Save, 16. So his charisma isn't that high because... I was actually going to argue that it's too high given how uncharismatic this guy is. <laughs> but he's a sorcerer, so he's got to have some. But he's he's got that Kavorka, you know, that like Kramer had on Seinfeld where you just can't explain it, but people are drawn to him. Yeah, like... Like in once the same... you interact with him, you're like, this guy's the worst. But for some reason, the public loves him. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of like, you know, when you're driving in your car and you see just an absolute wreck on the side of the road and you slow down and kind of gawk at it it's it's similar in that aspect yeah i agree it has the the, the charisma of a, of a car wreck exactly so i actually think this is a legitimate plus one because the charisma is a little low but the numbers yeah. are pretty solid apart from the strength but the strength is totally useless i mean he uses a dex melee I, weapon i i will agree with you there why don't you take us into our charisma scenario this week submitted by our patron cheyenne harris an old, mostly blind and deaf halfling woman is convinced that you are her long-lost niece-slash-nephew. Come here and give your auntie a kiss. Come Regardless on. of your race, size, or anything you say in protest, and she insists that you take her shopping for bloomers. P.S. Her walking speed is 10 feet. You know your auntie has a bad And if head. you don't agree, or if you try and lift her, leave her, or refuse, she protests more and more loudly to the point onlookers may think you are harming her. Little Jimmy, what are you doing? <laughs> now, this is a good charisma scenario. She seems to have covered... All of the bases, so I really had to use my noggin for this one. What about you? Oh, Yeezy obviously was very confident about his answers on this. Okay. Would you like to hear what he had to say? Yeah. I'm the smoothest, 
The realist. I'm smooth like peanut butter, chunky or not. I cast move metal, level six spell, and I shape 40 feet of metal from the surrounding street. Lamp posts, signs, trash cans, mailboxes, kids' lunchboxes, and I build them into a bloomer shot right in front of us. I assume her eyesight is bad, right? She doesn't recognize that I'm not her niece slash nephew. I walk in the door and said, oh, they're sold out of bloomers. Bye, auntie. Plus two. He abandoned the plus one argument. Okay, so a little bit of trickery and deception here. You know what? Roll me for the plus two. I haven't challenged you today. Just go for it. All right. I rolled a three plus three, which is a six. Okay, so plus one. That's what Yeezy gets for breaking his one argument. Now for this, I this one was tough, but... Trennan would be pretty annoyed at the speed by which she was moving, so he would immediately call lightning to the spaces just in front of the two of them while they walked. Now, she was mostly blind and deaf. Not completely. Mostly. So, finally, he'd Mm -hmm. have a bolt strike right in front of the old bag, likely blinding her completely. He would make some evasive maneuvers and help save her from these shocking strikes with his plus 5 to athletics and plus 10 to survival. It would look as though he were a born natural just looking out for his grand-grand, The likely next suggestion by Trennan, as well as the onlookers who are thoroughly impressed by these evasive maneuvers he's taken, would be to go back home and maybe try another day, as the conditions are just not safe at the moment. I think she'd get the message, but I'm arguing a zero here. Not the most convincing or smooth operation by any means. Sure, yeah, I was going to take you down to a zero because we've been down this road before where even if your intentions are smooth, using violent acts such as blinding her with lightning... It's a bit aggressive. It is. It's a bit aggressive. How do I handle this aggressively? Well, Trennan would have his construct hyena waiting in the brush somewhere along the path, and he would telepathically cue the hyena to charge the old woman and pounce on her, begin tearing her clothes. Growling and ferocious, the construct would have the look of death in its glowing red eyes, which, again, mostly blind, but not completely, so she could probably see that. With this plus 10 to animal handling, Trennan would pounce on the hyena and begin punching it incessantly until he commanded it to play dead. The hyena, of course, would not be hurt by these attacks as it has resistance, and Trennan has no proficiency in unarmed strikes. So, no harm, no foul. That said, Trennan would then cast Mending on his grand-grand's clothing and suggest that they head home so that he could see to her wounds. Plus one. little smoother... A lot more aggressive. So he casts mending on her clothes, but she's still bleeding from her wounds when he has That's all right. these heal spells that he could be using. Because you got to go home to do that. Which the main point of this is he doesn't want to be walking around with her going to the store. He just wants to take her back home, have her go sit on the couch, and leave him alone. I feel like she's going to want bloomers even more now that she's been attacked and had her oh, bloomers no, no, no. shredded. The clothing mended to a point where it's better than new. I got that great, great mending. You got to remember, uh, my sisters are tailors, bro. Oh, okay, you brought it all back? Solid. Plus one. All right, so what are you arguing here for the aggressive? Plus two. How is this thing still going? Continue your argument. No, no, I don't know. I I, I think somebody just entered the lab, yeah. Sounded like my guardian angel was trying to help me out at the end here. (laughs) Okay, Yeezy, take it away. So I got this spell called the Devil's Knock because when the devil comes and knocking, you know you messed up. I target her life alert necklace and it explodes, dealing 10d6 piercing damage on a failed deck save. You know she's gonna fail that deck save. So when the shrapnel plunged into her, I loudly state this horrible accident that result of faulty wiring, cheap labor, and with my plus seven to survival, I can tell she isn't gonna survive. Black moves on, plus one. Absolutely. Uh, that was wildly entertaining. <laughs> plus one for sure. Tell me, for X Factor, would you play Yeezy Yeezy? Okay, so. Every time I make a high-level 
spellcaster. I really want to play one. We are playing one in our tomb game right now. He's a level 11 wizard, and I'm really enjoying that. So there are some features about this that I just love. I love the Dr. Octopus tentacles and the tankiness. You know I like my tanky characters. High HP, high AC if I can. So getting that extra AC when I cast a spell is a really nice perk. I also love the Atom. We only really scratched the surface, guys, of what a cool feature these could be. And getting to actually battle one of these Atoms against something, which we may have to do in the lab one day, that would be boss. So, Dan, how about you? What do you think of your character? Yeah, I would 100% play this. So, in the right setting, this would be a ton of fun. So, though I chose not to use it at second level with this archetype you can gain access to proficiency with firearms which would add a really interesting element also very cool thematic note the construct hyena will stay by your side if you go incapacitated and will not make its turn until you are revived so it kind of just stays by your side it only goes by your commands obviously because it's a construct and this week's build overall is just kind of a good reminder to all of the players all the listeners out there that if you're looking at third-party content you don't have to adhere to just one supplement like you know, it's good to use a little bit of Midgard Hero's Handbook, a little bit of Volo's Subrace Handbook, a little bit of Construct Compendium, uh, mixed with this Grease Monkey's Handbook. Like, I went ahead and I dipped into the Construct Compendium along with this supplement, and they're married together beautifully. So, get out there, support every single third-party publisher that you can imagine. All of the ones that we showcase here on the show are great examples, but there are plenty more. And honestly, dabble little elements here and there. Talk with your DM. Keep it an open conversation. The sky's the limit in this game, and that's what's beautiful about it. So I just wanted to wrap up with that little note. These subclasses are perfect for that, too. You know, they are set in a world with these atoms, these giant mechs, but you don't have to have that. As we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, all of these subclasses can be fit to your current adventures. So if you like what you heard today, this stuff might be for you. It's great for like steampunk or the Is It Guild from Ravnica. It's all right there. Yeah, to put it plainly, it's nuts what these guys did. So hats off to Val and Mogman for bringing a new realm of really cool content to the table. And you know what? The public has spoken too because Grease Monkey's Handbook, if you guys haven't seen, spent a while number one best-selling piece on DM's Guild. So it's possible some of you guys may already have that. If you do, shoot us a message. Let us know what characters or Adam you have built. And next week, we head on over to the world of Farland, a campaign setting sporting buckets of player content set in a land with thousands of years of history, while the setting itself has been active for 17 years, as it's actually the oldest third-party world in the greatest role-playing game ever, Dungeons & Dragons. This is popular with players all over the world, so if you want to see more before the episode, head on over to farlandworld.com. We'll see you next week to explore this realm together, and if you guys haven't reviewed us yet, we are still open for entries to win a copy of Xanathar's Guide to Everything shipped anywhere in the U.S. by sending a screenshot of your review to dndcharacterlab at gmail.com. These reviews help other people see us and act as fuel for our giant robot of a show. Your support has kept us going this long, so thank you again. That wraps it up for this week, Lab Rats, and just remember, when it comes to character creation, it doesn't have to be optimized. It just has to be fun. Thank you. Now, a couple of notes before we let you depart. Everything that you heard on this show today was the brainchild of just two men, Garen Jones and Daniel Beal. If you'd like to consume more content from these two madmen, head on over to patreon.com forward slash DD Character Lab. Don't be intimidated, there's stuff there for free, but it's also a great way to support the show. Another great way? Head on over to dmsguild.com and search Garen Jones when you get over there, and what you will unlock is a mediocre dragon's horde of player content that is created by the boys over at the D&D Character Lab, and it's usually only priced for $1. So, no harm, no foul. 
Hey, speaking of the DMs Guild, we'd love to thank our third-party contributors to the show. A lot of these are independent authors. We want you to get on DMs Guild and support these guys' work because they do great things. If you don't believe us, listen to more of our show. We display them almost every single week. In fact, we probably featured one this week. If you'd like to see more of the content that either Garen or Dan featured on today's episode, head on over to the episode description and the links are down there for you. But hey, maybe you're a content creator yourself of some player options content. We would love to hear from you. Send an email over to dndcharacterlab at gmail.com with the content and we'll be happy to review it. Hey, maybe it'll even end up on the show. Last couple things here. If you're not following us on social media, at DND Character Lab on Twitter and Facebook, that's N is in Nancy, D Character Lab. I'm not sure what you're waiting for because we pump out great memes, the best, most dank memes on the DND internets. Also, subscribe to our show. That way you get the freshest character creations every single Wednesday delivered right to your ears. Thanks again for listening to us this week, Lab Rats. Catch you next week. Peace! Metal armor and deconstruct it, reducing their AC by one and inflicting 3d10 force damage on a failed strength save. So, hey, can you, you can... say that? Because I think, <laughs> can you, can you redo that spell? Because I think I just farted on Mike. <laughs>